Welcome into another episode of the Big Red Lily Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Lane, joined alongside my co-host, Presley Meyer, tonight, and our producer, Alex Stengel. How are you guys doing? Great, man. How are Incredible. you? Incredible. Do you want us both answer at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's all talk at the same time and see what comes out. We've got a great show tonight. I'm really excited about this. What I believe is going to be the least serious podcast we've ever done. Um, we've got two great guests tonight, a tag team duo that I think is unbeatable. Uh, so let's bring them in. First, let's start with with Keith Wynn, good friend of the show. Keith, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on. You know, really excited to uh, talk some football, basketball, whatever we get into tonight, you know. Right, exactly. We've talked nothing but football with Keith. Uh, and this is going to be interesting to see a different side of Keith. I'm curious if he knows any sports other than football. We're going to start talking <laughs> basketball. And we're going we're gonna to see uh, uh, him kind of stammering over his words. But Keith's been on the show. He covers recruiting for Card Chronicle, does a great job. Your stuff the last couple of weeks, fantastic, as Will's kind of been on this run. So thank you for pumping that out. Always glad to have you on the show. We're also joined by what I believe to be a Louisville legend, the first uh, blogger that I ever read as a, as a teenager. Mike, I'm going to make you feel I'm 27 now. I started reading your work when I was like 15 or 16. Uh, website creator, author, Puerto Rican mascot enthusiast, most recently <laughs> the, the dad of a, of a little girl. She's absolutely gorgeous, man. Mike Rutherford, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. I appreciate that. I, I, the amount of time that I'm starting to get that type of intro, though, is so, so disheartening. Like, the emails that are like, it's been my favorite website since I was a little kid. I'm like, first of all, your parents should not have you been reading that shit at like five years old. Second of all, I am – it just reinforces that, like, internet years are like dog years years times five and I am a thousand years old in internet years but happy to be here happy to be talking sports it feels good well before we get into Louisville sports I have to ask you have you put the resume in for the opening for the athletic director I saw that was open this afternoon they're officially open for business have you submitted that yet and where are we in the process when that story first broke that the uh, current athletic director was stepping down I guess it was like two and a half weeks ago I actually tweeted the actual DePaul athletics account and they finally blocked me so <laughs> I'd say it's going, you know, okay. At, at this point, I'd say we're off to like an average start. Uh, foot's in the door. We'll say that. They, they're aware of, of my candidacy. And are, are they the first school to block you? Because I'm curious where Clemson is on that, that scale of wanting to block you. A few others that you've kind of, over the years, just like the, the subtle sarcasm that their fans and school base can't seem to pick up on. Where are we in the blocking process for them? Like, are they getting closer to just being like, all right, we're done? Yeah, uh, it, it's more coaches than it is. Like, uh, I think Frank Haith has blocked me th three times. He always – they used to do those things, like, back before every college basketball season, like, here's who you should follow. And because I had the job with SB Nation uh, as the college basketball editor, I was always on those lists. And I, I guess Frank Haith just forgot every year that I was making fun of him for paying players and then sucking every single season after his first at every new job. So he would follow me every November, and I would be unfollowed, like, two weeks later – and then finally, I think it was three or four years ago, he, I posted the picture of him with money throwing at strippers after they got in trouble again, and he went to Tulsa, <laughs> and he finally just blocked me. So that was, a, that was a good one. But it's mostly like those types of people more so than the team account. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you are uh, a man of, uh, of great sarcasm that, I, like I said, most <laughs> fan bases can't seem to, to pick up on. I'm sure every school has that guy from another fan base that is messing with them and they don't get it. Anyways, we're glad to have you on the show. We've got a lot of stuff to get into tonight. I want to first start with you, uh, Mike, on what your life has been like for the last seven, eight months since you've had your daughter. Um, how has life changed for you going from having no kid to, to a daughter of all things? I'm right there with you, man. I know what that's like to no kid to daughter. Um, so how is fatherhood? How's everything? It's, so, it's weird because it feels like you have to kind of break it down in stages. It was the standard 
I think new parent stuff for the first four months where you're trying to balance everything and you're, you know, you're scared shitless and, you know, you're trying to figure out how this works and all this stuff. And then it went from me feeling like I wasn't helping out enough because it was the middle of college basketball season. My wife started back to work in December and I had the radio job at the time. um, And I was just constantly busy and I felt so bad. And then on a dime, it flips from me helping with the baby constantly because the radio gig, uh, comes to an unceremonious end in January. I've still got the college basketball stuff going on. And then when the, the world stops there in mid-March and college basketball comes to a screeching halt, um, we lose our home care. You know, like so many other people, we lose our, our child care during the week. And my wife's a pharmacist. She's got a, a much more important and much more cool job than I have. So I've kind of got to pick it up the slack. And so I'm watching the, the baby uh, for those uh, two months pretty much constantly. So I, I go from feeling like I'm missing out on all those little moments that you hear about to I have seen every single little moment you could possibly imagine, which is awesome. But also at five o'clock, I'm like, we need some time apart. Like like I I need to breathe. I need to like just scroll through Instagram real quick. So it's been, um, it's just a, a very strange, but awesome journey. Every dad cliche you can throw out though, is, uh, is something that I can speak for. Like uh, the whole, like, you know, everything seems unimportant and all that stuff. And I know Keith and the rest of you guys with kids would, would agree to that. It's been the coolest thing in the world, but it's definitely been a bit strange to have, to go from one extreme for the first four months to another extreme for the last four months. Mike, I think the the big reason why we start out asking you about fatherhood is because um, if you're, if I, I assume Alex and Keith's wives might be the same as ours, but um, you were known around my household as the guy with the baby. Um, so <laughs> I, I want to know what kind of blood sacrifice that you had to make to have the Gerber, Gerber baby. And oh. we can find one of those, just the cutest child of all time. No, I mean, it's, that's, it's my wife. She's uh, much better looking than I am, uh, as anybody who's ever seen both of us together can attest to. And the, the little girl has started to look much more like Mary in the last few months, which uh, a big relief to all of us. Uh, the first, <laughs> at the beginning, she kind of acted like Mary and looked like me, which was the exact combination we were hoping to avoid. And then now she's, uh, she still has a little bit of the attitude. She's still definitely is a tough cookie from time to time. But yeah, she's pretty cute. It definitely helps a lot. It was funny. We had my sister-in-law got married two weeks ago and everybody there was talking about how they started following me on Instagram. Cause I, they heard I had this cute kid. Like it's gone from, we love the Louisville stuff. Like we love the Louisville jokes, we love the Louisville coverage to like post more pictures of your baby, do more <laughs> stuff with the baby. We don't give a damn about you or what you have to say. Your jokes suck. Just show us the baby. And I'm like, you know what? I'll give the people what they want. So yeah. out, of curio- out of curiosity, um, cause I, I have one. So how many baby books, have you guys read uh, prior to having a ch- I'm just, I'm just curious between. Oh, prior. You, Keith, and James. I did absolutely oh, no prep for a baby. Yeah, I just got like my zero. first baby book I today. Today. Today's the first day my first baby book arrived on the front porch because my child is not disciplined. Like, I cannot discipline her no matter what she does. She's two years old. She <laughs> is uh, always hair on fire. And so finally, I was like, I need help and I need to find a book. Now I feel old. Like I turned 27 yeah. about a month ago and now I'm eating dad books. I, uh, I touched a diaper for the first time, like a week and a half before my daughter was born 10 years ago. So <laughs> I, I was just, gonna, I just winged it, changed the diaper, changed every diaper in the, in the hospital, just kind of, you know, figure it out. Like the, the nurse taught me how to do it the first one. I was like, all right, I guess I'm good to go. So now I've, I've always winged it. And I don't know, it, it, like now it's, it's easy. My wife is literally a like children all day. She's a nanny, you know, a teacher. I mean, it's just, you know, she kind of handles a lot of that aspect of it. But back when I was like a single dad and whatnot, I was kind of just, yeah, I was kind of winging it on my own, trying to figure it out as I go. Well, now you also have like Google searches for like specific cases. So like my Google search history in November was hilarious. It's like, 
East Tennessee State backup point guard, and then like formula sitting out five hours, still good question mark. So like, I, they have those types of answers where you don't have to read all the books anymore. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I did not read a single book before we brought the. It's uh, so Virginia true. World. That's fantastic. Today, my, I, I, like I said, I've been going through a lot of things the last week since I've been home with my daughter full time. The Google search today is why is my toddler being aggressive? Like, and, and that's a search. <laughs> like it's common. I'm like, okay, good. I'm not the only one here. Uh, and the answer may have said you should seek help, which I'm a little on the fence about. But, you know, it is what it is. Mike, let me ask you this. What's your best oh shit moment far as a dad? Like, you hear people tell you all these crazy, like, poop stories and, like, throw-up stories and the worst, absolute worst-case scenarios with your kid where you're in a place where you can't change a diaper, you can't get to what you need. What's the, like, have you had that oh so far where you're just like, what do I do? I mean, the, the poop stuff doesn't even bother me at this point. Like, I woke up at 5.30 this morning, and my daughter had shit through her sleep sack, had to give her a bath because she's had a bad diaper rash. And, like, that, I mean – at this point, it's just like, that's what you do. I'm like, I, whatever. Like, maybe I'll take a nap like at 11 o'clock if we can have somebody to watch this kid for a little bit. You just kind of go with it. I think the only, the only real oh shit moment I had was one of the first times where it was a, a weeknight and my wife had a work obligation or something back in October or November. And I was watching the baby for the first time myself. And she got one of her legs like stuck in the crib um, when she was like, she wasn't sleeping in the crib yet, but she was napping in there. We were trying to introduce it and the cry was different. And that was, I mean, I probably acted like she had just like torn off her, both of her legs. Like I, I freaked out for, I, it came out in like two seconds, but for the first, that split second, the thought that she might be injured and might be injured on my watch. And I would hear for it for the rest of my life, regardless of how fine she was, was a, uh, was a terrifying moment. Yeah, man. I mean, every day with, with kids, it's something new. You know, I, I found myself very early on having a lot of those moments of not knowing what to do. And the poop stories were very real. Like for the first four or five months, I'm like, all right, this is normal, right? We're rocking and rolling, diaper changing every time, not getting surprised peed on. And then it happened once where the baby's rolling around in poop and you're alone. And my first instinct was to call my wife. He would tell you, <laughs> why are you calling me? Like my first instinct, I don't know about you, my first instinct, no matter what happens, is to always call my wife and tell her what happened. You guys with the, with the dogs, I'm sure it's the same way. Like Tilly poops in the in the hallway, Tilly eats something out, out and back, Luna gets into something she's not supposed to. And the first instinct is always to call my wife and she's like, why are you calling me? I can't help you, figure it out. <laughs> I throw her in the bath for everything. Like a little bit of poop in the bath, like stubs her toe in the bath. Like, you know, looking like she's about to throw up right in the bath like every single the girl takes 17 baths a day and it's my fault but whatever you know, it's funny my wife does the same thing to me when i get really drunk so <laughs> that's All actually right, not me. even that's not even a joke so. <laughs> let's move into what we brought you on and, and that's the talk wolf man there's it's, it's been a fairly quiet uh couple of months obviously with no live actions uh unless you're into the cornhole thing which that's everywhere these days, surprisingly um, and Mike, we haven't heard from you. You know, you've had the podcast. You've been doing some things with obviously writing on the side. But we haven't heard from you. Uh, you know, audio-wise, uh, from from a, a while since the since the radio show stopped. I mean, the podcast, obviously, as I said, have kind of been out there. Uh, and those are great, by the way. The cussing, fantastic. Keep it up. Like, the, like there, there's so many times on the radio. I'm like, ah, oh, Mike wanted to cuss there and he didn't do it. And so on the podcast, it's great to get to hear that. But I, I want to start with the Louisville basketball program because uh, I think that, you know, there's obviously football and recruiting has been on fire and same with basketball. But I, I just want to start with the, the upcoming season. There's been a lot of talk about this new look team. Uh, Chris Mack transitioning into uh, really his own stamp on the program. The team looks like what team his teams at Xavier looked like. Uh, but let's start with what are your thoughts on the roster for the 2020 uh, team 107 and what are your expectations? I think, the first of all, it is kind of fun to be talking I I feel like it's been five months since I've done anything like this. So we had that podcast. We had to shut it down for 
Um, I guess we haven't done an episode in like a month and a half. I just haven't had time. Um, so it's, it's fun. This is awesome. Like I'm, I'm just loving being back here, but um, I'm excited about the roster makeup. I think that it, it reminds me not in terms of like the roster shakeup, but in, in terms of where we stand nationally in the eyes of most people to where I think we can be of that Damian Lee season in 2015, 16, where you look at the landscape of college basketball, it's going to be, I think a lot like this past season where there's not a real dominant team. Like Gonzaga may have a fantastic mm-hmm. record. Um, they may look like uh, on paper the best team in college basketball, but I feel like it's going to be one of those years where there's not a whole lot of difference between number four in the country and number 28 in the country. And I think Louisville's going to fit somewhere into that mix. I think what it comes down to, I, you know what you have in Malik Williams at this point, assuming he can stay healthy. I think you know what you have in Carly Jones to a certain extent. I, I think he's going to be – I think there's some question about his ability to finish at this level the same way that he finished uh, in the Big South. And if you look at his numbers against, I think the difference between him and Fresh Kimball last year is if you look at his numbers against Power 5 competition, they're actually way better than Fresh Kimball's numbers against Power 5 teams were uh, coming to Louisville last season. And Fresh had a, a pretty good season a year ago. I thought I think he's a solid player for us. The question to me is going to be, because I think we're going to be good. If we can be great, it's going to be how much of a leap does David Johnson take and probably to a greater extent does Samuel Williamson take. I think we saw the glimpses of David Johnson I think we know what he can do well. He's never going to be a knockdown outside shooter, but he can improve a little bit in that area. I think he's going to be fantastic. Can Samuel Williamson, because he had flashes every now and then, but to be quite honest, not quite as much as I was expecting to see in year one. I know a lot of that was playing time and and fit and and playing behind Jordan Warren. It's weird to have to pick your spots, but if he can make that leap from seventh, eighth man, who's potentially good down the line to a guy that you can rely on for 15 points a night, then I think Louisville has a chance to be the second or third best team in the ACC. And when you're the second or third best team in the ACC, there's little stopping you from being able to win six games in a row in three weeks in March. Um, so I, I think they have a chance to be a lot better than a lot of people nationally. But if they also were just kind of, you know, middling and, and end up being like a four or five, six seed that maybe makes a sweet 16 or maybe gets beat in the second round, it wouldn't be a shock either. Um, but I, I like the roster makeup and it'll be interesting to also to see how, much of a jump these other four freshmen take besides, you know, Sam and, um, and David Johnson from their freshman year, their sophomore year. I know Jalen Withers is getting a lot of discussion too, but, you know, can Josh Nickelberry be a guy who, who comes in and plays eight to 10 minutes? Can Quinn Slezinski be maybe your answer at the four? Um, I, like all that stuff is going to be really interesting to follow for the next four or five months. Yeah, I think the, the, the major storyline going into the season, right, is, is just the development of those guys that were part of the quote-unquote super six. I think that there's a lot of that, um, a lot of a lot of the aspect of, of people not giving a lot of respect going in, into the season is that there are a lot of higher rated, highly regarded players. Uh, Jalen Withers being one of them, he redshirted. Um, and then you have a player in Aiden Gahan who didn't really get a chance to see the floor very much last season. So there's a few guys on this roster that haven't had much playing time. So to your point, Mike, um, I, I think that that just one or two of these guys can can develop and kind of step up um, and play in place of some of the guys that departed. Um, all of a sudden you have a team that, that equally as dangerous as last season. Yeah. Okay. I'm most, um, I bet. I know this is a virtual round table, so it gets a little <laughs> tricky. No, I was going to say, I think the attitude expectations excited about just from hearing the way Chris Mack was talking about the attitude, you know, you're, you're starting to get more of a, and I think that's kind of exciting because you could kind of tell, like he didn't want to come out and directly, but he kind of called them soft at some point or hurt for feeling some points. And so these guys is hard no play mentality. And I want to see how that comes with what we've already seen with the pack line. Yeah, Keith, I'm curious. We don't talk a lot of basketball with you. So what are your thoughts on the on the team? Here we go. Here's the real test of the night. Does Keith know yeah, right. does Keith know everyone on the team? Keith, what, what are yeah, your no, thoughts on the on the season I mean, ahead? 
you know, it seems like, you know, and I, I leave the basketball stuff up to, to Mike and the, the other folks on the site, obviously, because they know it way better than I do. But I, my, my big question is a four spot. You know, I, I don't really know if they really have a guy that they they can feel comfortable right now. I mean, they're going to learn that early in the season, obviously, whether or not Clint Slezinski or whether it be, you know, moving guys around, whether or not they can actually play Sam Williams in there and, and go smaller. Um, I think that's, that's kind of the question for me because I know they play, you know, the four out. I know they want to have shooters around their big, um, but it, but you know, can those guys that they haven't seen really play minutes yet step up to the plate? Because I think that's a big role. Because if not, you're leaving Malik Williams with a lot of pressure on himself to to stay healthy, to stay out of foul trouble, uh, and to be more of a scorer and rebounder. If you don't have those guys, I can do that. So I don't know who that guy is. That's that's kind of where my lack of knowledge of everything kind of comes in, but. You know, I know that uh, I did listen when Chris Mack was only talked about Jalen Withers, Withers getting taller and bigger in the five. Does Aiden Agahan, can he play the four? Uh, can he step up? I don't really know. Uh, so that's that was that's my question. I think the guards, I'm excited about those guys because they have options. Uh, and I think David Johnson, obviously, that he has a high ceiling uh, if he can reach that. So, you know, to me, it's really – that's the only real question mark. Other than that, it seems like – I mean, everybody seems really excited and happy about the other guys, and I just don't know what they do to – yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about this be the the number of different lineups Chris Mack can play. He talked about how he believes he can play four guards and one big man. He's got that versatile the team. And when you've got a six foot five point guard, you can literally do anything else you want, right? So he can have lineups where he's got David Johnson, Carly Jones, Sam Williamson, you know, Jalen Withers at the four. Maybe he plays a lineup with Josh Nickelberry at the three and Sam at the – this is going to be one of the most versatile teams that we've seen at Louisville in a long time. Uh, and the other thing was is – and it's really interesting to start to kind of pick up on some of the things that Chris Mack does when, when he talks. Mike, you know this about Rick Pitino because you got to interview him so many different times that – like you learned what Rick was really saying and reading in between the lines on what, what he was really trying to get at. And with Chris, with, with Coach Mack on the podcast last week, I think that he flat out in between the lines told you, like the teams the last two, two seasons, these aren't my style. I've had to kind of make it work and be the best that we can with players that were here when I got here. But now, like this is really what I'm going to different side of that. So my, my question is, do you think that this season we're going to see something new from Coach Mack and see a different side of the offense, in particular maybe tempo. I know that's not that's something a lot of fans have wanted to talk about the last few years, but do you think we'll see a kind of a new side of him with this team? I think you'll see new wrinkles. I, I don't think you're going to see a change as extreme as, you know, our tempo stats going from somewhere around, you know, 180 to 210 um, to all the way in the double digits. Like, I don't think he's ever going to play as fast as a lot of the fan base wants him to play. It's just like, you can shift your your schemes a little bit. You can shift your systems around a little bit. I don't think you can shift your core belief. And playing this style and playing at least some form of the pack line defense, those are pretty much Chris Mack's core beliefs. And I don't think you're going to see those changed a lot. Um, but one of the encouraging things I thought about this past season was that we saw firsthand his ability to kind of be something of a chameleon, to, to shift to, to, you know, his own philosophies to fit his, his product. Because we came out and we ran – continuity ball screen offense against Miami on, on day one and ran, I think only two sets that we'd run the previous season. Um, like it was a totally different offense. And you heard Jim Laird after the game kind of being like, well, I mean, what the fuck do you want us to do? Like we like, nobody saw this coming. Uh, we were totally unprepared for it. And Chris Mack, even after the game was like, we kind of wanted to play this card closer to the vest until we got into these bigger games in December. But because we had to open up against a conference opponent on the road, we felt like we had to unveil it there. So he felt, he felt almost bad for Laranega that they weren't, they were totally unprepared for that. But I think, um, the, the guys over at Hoop Vision, which is a, a fantastic website, if you're a, a college basketball fan, 
watch Jordan's videos, read his website, uh, subscribe to his newsletter. They go more in depth than anybody else out there. And they track things like different plays. And, and Chris Mack last year at Louisville, I know some, a lot of people were like, we're seeing the same plays, we're seeing the same plays. We ran the third most plays of any team in college basketball last season. He has about as extensive a playbook as there is in the entire country. And if stuff isn't working, he's not afraid to, to, uh, to shift it up a, a lot. You saw how effective Kristen Cunningham was in the high ball screen seasons ago. That became pretty much our offense. We became a high ball screen team. We didn't use it at all last year until David Johnson came along at the end. And even then, it wasn't um, like that wasn't the cornerstone of the offense. So I think he's going to see what he has once we get everybody back and we start doing these summer practices and we're able to do a little bit more in the fall. And then I think he's going to still be mixing and matching in, in November and December. And then hopefully, like we saw with all the old Rick Pitino team, you kind of feel solidified once you get into February. You go with the, the system and the horses that you feel like give you the best chance of making a deep run in March. I think you're going to see that exact same thing um, this season. That's kind of who Chris Mack is. That's who, what his MO is going to be at Louisville, and I, I'm fine with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting for me to see next year um, what exactly that, that, that entails. I, I think that um, there could be a lot of shakeups as far as uh, – defensively as well. I think that Chris Mack finally has a roster that is going to fit what he wants to do defensively, especially as far as his link goes. You know, you could have a potential lineup, uh, say, with like David Johnson, Charles Menlin, Sam Williamson, uh, Withers, and Williams, and that, that's a massive lineup. Um, so there, there's a lot of stuff that they can do in that kind of pack line style defense next year uh, that'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, and I think that the biggest thing that I, I think – I shouldn't say the biggest thing, but I, part of me feels like this team is going to go as far as the, the sophomore. We've got – they've got really good seniors, right? I really trust Carly Jones. I obviously really trust Mal Charles Menlin. seems a solid player who's going to come in. It reminds me so much of Chris Smith, so much of strong and bulky. He's going to give you the same thing every single night. But the, the thing is, is this team could be, you know, an eight seed in the tournament because the sophomores don't take the step that you expect, or they could be, you know, they could be a team that, that just is absolutely far better than we expect. So, Mike, in your, in your opinion, right, outside of Sam and outside of David Johnson, who is the guy that takes the biggest – Good question. Um, before I, I say that – Two weeks in a row of good questions. I like from the, it. From, yeah, I'm, all, oh I'm on God. fire, man. Mike, you uh, have no idea. When Chris Mack told Jacob, great question – you you saw like the music video from the island, like Jacob's under the desk, like freaking out. Like he's texting me, oh my gosh, in the back, like trying to be his hype man secretly. The, the, the thing about good question though is it always means that the person is just wants more time to think about yeah, it. Because exactly <laughs> I always like got excited about it, and then I was like, yeah, he just wants to think about it a little bit more. And I was like, yeah, but no, Such it's a great question, question though. Um, but before before I answer, I'm gonna kill even more time. Here, are you ready for my stone cold lock of the upcoming season? Like, you're gonna hear it here in June. This is my one guarantee about the 2020 2021 Louisville Cardinal basketball team. You ready? Yes. The player, there's always one that the fan base just constantly fights about. Just like, he actually is good. He actually sucks. Why is this guy playing? It's going to be Charles Menlin there. Like, he's going to be the guy that – and I, I guarantee I'm on this boat. That, like, people are like, you don't – the stats don't bear out how important he is for this. Because Chris Mack, his big recruiting pitch to Charles Menlin was, we want you to come in here and we want you to defend the best player on the other team. Because we talked about the length on defense now and being able to play the style that he wants to play, that Chris Mack wants to play. David Johnson was not good defensively. Like, that's just he, – he can block some shots. He's long. He can gamble. But he, as far as just keeping his guy in front of him when he was on an island, he was not great last year. Carlick Jones, one of the knocks on him at Radford was 
not necessarily that he was a bad defender, but that he wasn't always locked in defensively. He was more focused on the offensive end. And when he was going head to head with guys like um, in the big South semifinals, he went head to head with Jermaine Merrow, who was the leading scorer in the country two years ago for Hampton uh, and averaged like 28 points per game this year. And, I think Carlick scored 35, Merrill scored 38, and they got beat. And that was a uh, – he was not a great defensive effort from him. So those guys have to get better. I think Midland's the one guy who can play the three, maybe he can shift down to the four if they go with a small lineup. And it doesn't really matter. You can put him on a 6'3 guard, he can guard him. You can put him on a 6'6 forward, he can guard him. I think that's how valuable he's going to be. The big and, – and everybody points to his shooting stats for reasons why, like why are we going after a guard who shot, you know, 30-whatever percent from three last year. San Francisco is that analytics heavy program. They were with Kyle Smith. They are under Todd Golden. Now they want to take threes, even if they're bad really early in the shot clock, like that they play what they call nerd ball. And so Midland was taking a bunch of really early bad threes because he was a volume shooter and he was their best shooter. And he was a, a guy that they, they had the ball in his hands a lot. I think being in a system at Louisville where he's not being asked to take bad shots early in the shot clock and where he has more offensive weapons around him is going to allow him to take more open, better shots. And I think his percentages are going to go up, but that's going to be an adjustment for him too. I mean, he and Carly Jones both have been option ones on their team for, well, Jones for the last three years, Midland for at least the last one year. And like not, ha not being in that place is going to be, a little bit tough and I think maybe he struggles early in the season and the fan base just gets on him for it but I think he's a really good player I think he's a really smart player and he's going to be extremely valuable for the team even if the stats on paper don't look like he's one of the three or four best players in the lineup but to answer your question now 15 minutes later I <laughs> uh, <laughs> as far as the, the other freshman who I think takes a big step forward I think it, I, I really think you're going to see Quinn Slezinski play a bigger role this year I think he surprised a lot of people just because he's that type of player that Chris Mack loves. I, I know Mack um, compared him to some of his guys at Xavier in, in a really complimentary way. Um, I, I think he's going to be just good enough that if we have Johnson being able to penetrate, Carly Jones being able to penetrate, and everybody has to, to you know, cave in and protect the rim, he's going to be a guy who can step out and, and make wide open this year. I think he's big enough to rebound. He can defend well enough if he's going up against other fours. I, I think when, he's not going to – play 35 minutes a game or anything like that this year. But I think he's going to be making much more of an impact as a sophomore than we ever would have guessed when he committed a couple of years ago. It's an interesting, an interesting like selection. Cause I don't think most people think of him and, and automatically think, you know, Oh, he can be the four. He can do this. Like, I think most people have kind of, I'm, I'm trying to think of a comparable player and I don't mean to, compare him to Chad Millard, but that's kind of like who he reminds me of. I mean, exactly. I think it's a great example. Mind, right? Yeah. I'm sitting here while he's talking. Former like, starter a... Chad Millard. Uh, star. <laughs> Let's not disparage Chad Millard's name. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, I, I think Quinn is probably the, the least likely answer. So it's in to go there. For me, it's Josh Nittery. He has, I've said it since he is going to be the best player for at some point. I don't know if it's going to be second year, third year, but he he's a lot like some of the guys we saw at guard under Rick Pitino and that he, I just think he's going to get better every single develop into that. And this year, when you have a guy like David Johnson who get downhill, same with Carly Jones, like you said, Mike, you got to have those spot up shooters. And I think that Nickelberry is going to make his money this year, stepping into that, that Ryan McMahon role of being the guy who you know is going to be hit threes because other than that, these guys aren't great three-point shooters. I don't think you're going to have a three-point shooter on the floor who you're confident in like we have been with, with Laura and McMahon the last few. But I want to transition into recruiting because I think that's been the, the number one topic for fans the last few. Leading up to it, man, I, I, 
I think Chris Mack got really bad, a really bad rep for a while for me for how the 2020 class went, how they kind of missed on everybody. Uh, you know, the season ended without a, getting a chance to compete in the tournament. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people went back to the year before of losing to Minnesota and the narrative all of a sudden been like, oh crap, maybe Chris Mack's not the guy that we thought he was. But this class, I think he's done an incredible job of putting together talent. How the hell is he doing it with, you know, an NCAA investigation hanging over his head and the potential two-year tournament ban or one-year tournament ban or whatever the punishment might, might be? What do you think? Like, how is he, how is he making this happen? Yeah, I mean, um, I think he's going after guys who aren't going to be – swayed by stuff like that and I think getting in on Bryce Hopkins really early uh, is a big gig because I think he's going to be a fantastic player he put up some massive numbers uh, in the most competitive area of Chicago basketball last season I think he's going to do it again this year but he's also gotten some local kids I, I mean you've got a legacy in Jason Osborne's son JJ Trainer coming here like that's when you've got a foot in the door and you've got a top 100 prospects it's more important now than ever to land that kid. And he's done a good job of, of doing that. Even if you want to say Jay Scrub, even though there was buzz pretty much the entire last season that he could at least potentially uh, go pro, you've still got to land that commitment. If he'd been committed to Cincinnati this past season and still gone pro, it still would have been a black eye for Louisville, I think. Um, that would have been tough for Chris Mack to get over. So he's done a good job of getting those kids that you had an in on already that you inherited. And then going out and finding guys that I think fit your program, like L. Ellis, is a junior college guy and you can tell him hey if these other schools are saying Louisville's going to be banned from the postseason or this is going to happen that's going to happen you've got another year in junior college you, you can scope it out you can play this season see how our deal works out with the NCAA we we're still going to want you regardless but if you decide that whatever's happened isn't for you feel free to go elsewhere and I think that was pretty much the pitch to him um, but it's and, and see the kids in the 2022 class and some of the other kids in the 2021 class that are still considering Louisville I think it's just good that they're on those lists um, some five-star prospects that are going to be choosing between Louisville and some other schools even if they go elsewhere it's good to have your name out there and it's good to capitalize on I think Louisville still being kind of a hot brand right now not just if you want to I, I think Lamar Jackson's appeal transcends just being a football guy I think he's somebody that everybody who plays a sport in high school recognizes and now having Donovan Mitchell and Montrezl Harrell making big impacts and being so outward in in their representation of Louisville and, and constantly talking about L1C4 and you know Trez having the giant cardinal chain like all that stuff really helps and you've got to maintain that momentum right now because I mean like everybody knows out there there could be some bad news stories coming out in the uh, the, the next year or so to come so capitalizing right now is crucial and Chris Mack's doing that. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I don't oh, know. There we go. Five people oh, talking at once. <laughs> Fighting for doing... time. Oh, you hop in here, buddy. No, I, I was just going to suggest paper, rock, scissors, right? Um, no, I think that LL's interview today um, on the radio was pretty interesting because just to your point, Mike, you know, he was asked, you know, was there any negative recruiting in terms of what other coaches were telling you about Louisville and Chris Mack and the program? And he said, absolutely. He's like, there's a ton of coaches that uh, there were – you know, negatively recruiting, but he's like, eventually situation, it, it is what it is. You literally said it is what it is. So I think, I think Oklahoma State, with that, the same top players sting. These guys are a little more aware and they're fit staff. And not so much, are we going to make the tournament? Are we not going to make These guys are going to have a ton of chances throughout the season being in the East. And I think real, real quick, the other thing that's been really, really good for Louisville is they're recruiting kids that grew up in ACC country. Even uh, Charles Millen from San Francisco. I know he played yes. out there. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, when he first committed, like, that was the big thing for me. Like, I, I felt like I was, you know, I, he's like, I think he said, like, I wasn't a hidden gem. Like, people knew about me. My team went to three straight state, state championship games. We won state my senior year. I was the best player on all those teams. And NC State, North Carolina, Wake Forest, and Duke, and North Carolina all said, not good enough for us. And he said, yeah. now having the chance to go up against all those guys and be on national TV and show them, like, this is what you were missing, 
it was a huge factor in me committing to Louisville. And you saw it. Uh, L. Ellis is a North Carolina kid too. A lot of these kids that grew up in ACC country, that's an easy pitch for them. It's even if we are you know, dealing with NCAA stuff, hey, we're going to play Duke on ESPN. We're going to play North Carolina on ESPN. We're going to go to Cameron Indoor. We're going to mm-hmm. go to the Dean Dome. You can play in all those games that you grew up watching. And, hey, we got a bunch of commitments out of that. Yeah, and the one thing, Presley, before you jump back in here, the one thing that I told Alex when, when him and I got on the podcast talking about Charles Midland, that's the thing that stood out to me, his comments about being from North Carolina, not being recruited by those schools. And I told Alex, Chris Mack, there is your there is your pipeline. Go get the guys mm-hmm. who are not being recruited by Duke, not being recruited by North Carolina, who have a chip on their shoulder. And in the last month, he's landed four kids from North Carolina or over the last two months, right? So you got Charles Menlin, uh, Gabe Witsenitzer. I don't even know how to say his last name, but he's from North Carolina. And then you've got Bobby Pettiford Jr. and L. Ellis, both from Durham. So North Carolina, and then, you know, not even to mention Josh Nickelberry. There's a ton of other guys that they've been in North Carolina on. And that, that seems to be kind of a niche for them is finding that type of guy. Um, and, and I think that one of the things I'm interested, Keith, and, and jump in here, because I think this is a football conversation as well. But one of the things that I kind of reacted to with the LLS commitment was, I think that the JUCO pipeline has kind of been established for Chris Mack, especially because he's talked about, we have to break this roster up. We can't have six, you know, six freshmen every two years um, or, you know, six graduating seniors every two years. But Keith, in your mind, when kids see other kids from, from similar uh, ranks, like right, the JUCO ranked and LLS sees Jay Scrub commit to Louisville and sees that there's a plan there for him. In your opinion, does that, do other players notice that and then want to follow kind of in the same path? I know it's a little bit different with football than it is with basketball and the JUCO because in basketball, you don't have as much players coming from that. But do you think that that's kind of like there's truth to that? One guy sees it, they see that it works for them, and then it kind of establishes that routine. Somewhat. I mean, I think I think one thing when you look at the JUCOs, especially in football, is that it's regional. So you have the kids that are playing in Mississippi, you know, that play JUCO in Mississippi. They play other teams in Mississippi in that area. So they know each other. They talk to each other. They communicate. Um, just like high school kids do. I mean, when you get down to certain areas of Florida, those kids all know each other um, and they communicate. They play seven on seven together. They do all these different things together. They work out with trainers together. Uh, so they have that communication. And JUCO is really no different, especially when you're talking about guys that are for uh, specific types of situations. Uh, I mean, you know, you look at the, the guys that Louisville's recruited in the football, from a football standpoint of JUCO, a lot of those guys played in the same, you know, same area. I mean, Braden Smith was down in Mississippi, and the, one of the reasons why they're looking at him is that, you know, they went down to Mississippi and they got uh, Monty Montgomery last year. So, uh, or no, sorry, he was in, in Kansas. Sorry. They got another they, – they've got – they oh. recruited guys from the Kansas area and they recruited guys from the Mississippi area. Uh, they're not really looking all over the place for JUCO. And part of that is because they have those relationships with those coaches there, but also because the players there – are seeing that, hey, this guy went there and did well, so I wanted the same. So it's it's really – it's I think that's – I think it's no different than high school recruiting <clears throat> where these guys communicate and they know each other. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, the coaches kind of develop those relationships too with, you know, uh, areas that they're recruiting. Uh, I was going to ask Mike about the, the basketball tournament. We apparently lost Mike. He got bored with us. <laughs> so we'll have to figure that part out. But uh, I think that it's an interesting thing to talk about what Chris Mack is recruiting. Uh, and it's a lot of what Scott Satterfield is. It's finding unique niches and different pipelines that you can strengthen. Obviously, for football, that Georgia pipeline has been really strong, the Florida pipeline. But the North Carolina pipeline for basketball uh, seems to be the path that Chris Mack has, has taken and has continued to take. Uh, and Presley and Alex, jump in here. But 
you know, to have three recruits already at uh, the number two class in America, like we're talking three weeks ago, you, us three were talking about like, is Louisville going to be able to recruit at all? Like they're, they're offering, you know, kids that aren't ranked. And here we are three weeks later and it's completely different. Uh, just like how impressed are you with Chris Mack? And I, and I don't mean to sound and say that like a big, like a fanboy, but like you've got to be impressed that, you know, after what he told us about how they're recruiting and how they're going about this, like what, that you've got to be impressed. Like there's no, there's no way around that. Well, it, it's impressive. And I think the, the thing that you have to consider um, with basketball recruiting right now is, you know, Louisville's just going to try to hold on for dear life until they get through whatever the shit ends up being. You know, like we don't, we don't really know what the, the end outcome is going to be. And that's why it's so complicated. It's the, it's like, freaking COVID man like you don't you know when it's going to end you don't know what's going to happen um you just kind of have to just keep playing it by ear and just keep doing your job and, and doing the best that you can um you guys had the guy on um from rivals a couple of weeks ago um and he basically said straight up like look Chris Mack's situation was he just got like, really really super unlucky like and he I mean he, re he reiterated that multiple times he was like look he had these these guys locked down and the very last second they left him and then he was just screwed. Um, you know, this was the first recruiting cycle um, where Louisville didn't have a top 100 player um, in over a decade. Um, so for, for them to get back to, to their you know, normal ways, that seems like it's pretty par for the course. But like you said, Jacob, I think that it's, it's really impressive the way that he's done it because he's found creative avenues, right? The, the Juco route, the North Carolina route, like he's found different ways to get these, his foot in the door and Chris Mack isn't going to stop being the guy that he's always been. You know, he, he was the same guy at Xavier, and he's the same guy now. He's a very, very likable guy. So we had all these – I think it was so frustrating to watch last year because every recruit that you hear from is like, yes, Chris Mack is the coolest uh, coach out there. He's the most likable coach. He's the coach that I would most like to pay, play for – pay for, ironic enough. But <laughs> then he doesn't – you know, then, then the recruits don't end up going there. So um, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see – how everything falls, how the dominoes fall, um, how many years that, that Louisville ends up missing out on, on the postseason. But to me, it's just holding on for dear life. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. I don't think that, that Louisville could, could be doing any better than they are right now. Um, and I think that's what people have to have to take into consideration. You know, um, if you read my article this morning on biggerability.com, you know, plug, um, there, <laughs> we are, you know, the, the recruiting classes in Bettino's early years were not the best. Um, the only, it, it took a, sh a sharp turn like 2010, 2011. And then you start seeing the fruits of their labor in 2012, 2013, 2014. So it takes some time for coaches to build that brand and build and gain steam, gain momentum, um, in the recruiting game. Um, and it's not going to be any different for Chris Mack just because he's got a little bit more swag than everybody else. Um, especially with him being, you know, under the microscope of the NCAA. Um, so I think if we just give it a little bit of time we're already seeing that it's starting to pan out. Yeah, you're exactly right, Mike. The, the question that we, we, we were talking about here was, you know, how impressed are you with Chris Mack, right? Because there, there's been a lot that could go wrong for him the first three years, and nothing really seemingly has, obviously, besides losing to Richard Patino. It's brutal. Like, I can't – I still have a hard time getting over that. But, like, he has done everything right, and yet this fan base at times has been so anti-Chris Mack. But – if you look at the numbers, the way he's recruited, I mean, he, he's followed a similar a similar path as Rick Pitino. And in 2020, it just – he tried to go to a next level of players in North Carolina and Duke 
just they seemingly laughed in his face and were like, watch what how we do this. And so I thought that fans overreacted to that. But in your opinion, are you impressed? Like you, you have to be at some point impressed with how he's. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if you want to go back and look at the, the 2020 class, I think a lot of that was just bad luck. I mean, you're in on I, Caleb Love was him just choosing North Carolina over Louisville because he wanted to go to North Carolina. But, you know, with Askew, Kentucky gets in at the last second. And uh, Jamin Brakefield is the one that was real, real bad luck because he's locked into Louisville. Louisville's his best option. He's going to go there. We've prioritized him for a long time. And at the last second, Duke says, look, we want to make you uh, our two- or three-year guy. Like, we don't want to be just the one-and-done factory, so we're going to go with a guy between, you know, 30 and 70 in the recruiting rankings as opposed to a five-star top 10. And it just so happens to be a guy who's going to go play for us if that doesn't happen at the last second. So uh, I think a lot of that, like Presley was saying, you're not having a top 100 guy, it just wound up being bad luck. I don't know if – I don't necessarily think that Max recruiting the way that he's recruiting now – because he was sullied on that and because he because Rick Pitino did do that when he got burned by a number of five-star prospects most notably Marcus Teague after we you know hired his hired his handler to be a director of basketball ops or whatever it was and then fired him after the day after he committed to Kentucky like we wanted Marcus Teague it was so obvious and when that happened I think that changed the entire game Uh, I mean it changed the way that Rick Pitino hired assistants it got the ball rolling I think for the trouble that we wound up getting into uh, I mean, not just with in 2015, but with hiring Jordan Fair and going after some of these quote unquote recruiting coaches, it all kind of started right there. But he also made more of a commitment to go after guys like Gorgie Shang, like Russ Smith, that he thought, um, and, and Russ was a little bit of a fluke. It's probably a bad example, but he wanted to go after three and four star prospects that he thought he could develop. And he was like, if I can't get these one and done kids, if I can't do what John Calipari is doing, if I can't do what Mike Krzyzewski was, uh, was doing at that time or to a lesser extent, I'm going to do what I've always done well, which is find kids that aren't that have no other avenue, that aren't going to go pro after their first two years and turn them into really good college players. And I don't think you're going to see Chris Mack totally go that way. Uh, I mean, I think Louisville's still in a pretty good position with at least one five-star prospect in this upcoming class that I think could pop for us. Um, he's still going to pick and choose those guys. But I do think you're going to see in every class him go after at least one or two guys that he thinks, hey, they're definitely going to be here by the time that they're due. This is going to be a long-term deal because he did that at Xavier and he had a number one seat and he, you know, he was a game away from the final four one time. He went to the second weekend of the tournament multiple times. It was a method that was successful for him. And you can get a better version of that here at Louisville and still do what you've always done well. I think. The, the one thing that I think he's got to get, and he's going to get it with Jordan war. And I think next year with David Johnson, he's got to get a player in the NBA that has some name record because I, I, I find it a little bit laughable, right. When he's recruiting uh, last season and he's having players come in and he's saying, look, you can be Trevor on blue. And these guys are like, who is that? <laughs> because they don't they didn't watch Xavier and so like sure you have Evan and Sumner in the NBA and you can point to him and you can point to you know a bunch of guys that they had that were fringe NBA players but he's got to get a player in the NBA to be able to compete uh, with the Roy Williams and the you know the coach K's and the John Cal Perry's and even Sean Miller some of these other guys who are doing well at other schools uh, and I think that honestly in my opinion that has hurt him more than anything because there is not one player he can that the common recruit will know and until he has that he's going to have a hard time reaching that upper echelon of five-star players and being serious because Mike, if you have ESPN knocking on your door, right. And you have, uh, you know, next tier like Fox is also at your door. You're going to go to the program who you know is going to put you at the highest place for succeeding and getting to where you ultimately want to end up. And if Mac is comparing Trevon Blewett and you have Roy Williams talking about, you know, Kobe White, or you have Coach K talking about Vernon Carey and all of these five-star guys, like Coach Mack is going to lose that battle nine out of ten times. And I think that's the next step. 
But in your opinion, how, how much confidence do you have in this? Do you think this independent review committee is going to help? Or are you in the boat that like, look, we're going we're gonna to just have to deal with it for a couple of years and we'll move on from First of all, I, I did love that when Quinn Slezinski committed to Louisville, he said that uh, one of the selling points that Chris Mack gave him was he could be J.P. Mercura in like three or four <laughs> years. And I was like, man, Quinn loves J.P. Mercura. He knows the deep cuts here. He's a, he's a college basketball deep cut guy. I was like, well, well done. Uh, but to your point – as far as the NCAA hammer is concerned, and I, I, I said this on the radio probably a billion times when I was doing it, I, I never tell anybody how to fan. Uh, you can do whatever you want. There's, there's no one way to do this. For most of these, for 90% of the fan arguments that we get into, there's no real right answer and no real wrong answer. I, I'll, I'll just say this. If you're holding out hope and listing all the reasons why this is going to be different and Louisville's going to get off scot-free and we're going to walk and this isn't going to be affecting the program at all two or three years from now, I, that's fine. I don't understand that mindset, seeing what we've seen the last few years. To me, the more healthy thing to do is just expect the worst. And if it's not the absolute worst, then, hey, it's, it's a little bit better than I was, I was thinking. I think it's, it's concerning that Oklahoma State, when you look at what Lamont Evans did in comparison with what we know Will Wade did at LSU, what we know went on in Arizona with Sean Miller on the tapes, what we know, I mean, Louisville being on probation, Kansas has five level one violations being levied against them right now. The fact that Oklahoma State, their ground floor was basically a one-year postseason ban, to me, that's extremely concerning. Um, this, the IARPC, the I acronym is getting all messed up here. I think it's IARP. Yeah. I, the IARP. Um, it's, it's at least it's something. It's not the NCAA technically, and we'll see. They're going to have to handle. I think it's a smart move for Louisville to go that route if they choose to do so because they'll get at least a test run from both the Memphis and the NC States cases because they'll be ahead of us on that docket if we do choose to go that route. And if Memphis walks after saying, you know, basically fuck you to the NCAA and playing James Wiseman for two games and getting going to a judge and letting him play, if they somehow get a fairly lenient punishment out of that, then I think if you're Louisville, you say, all right, we're, we're all in. Like, no appeal who cares? And people keep bringing that up. The fact that this um, re review process doesn't have an appeal. Well, the last time Louisville went through this, they filed an appeal. They said, we listed all these mitigating factors that your own bylaw said you were supposed to take into consideration in your initial ruling. You didn't take any of them into consideration. The NCAA responded by saying, you're totally right. We didn't do that. Our own bylaw said we should have. And guess what? We're not changing anything. So why the hell would we go through that appeal process again? It got us nowhere last year, even though we argued effectively. Um, I, I don't think that should be a deterrent at all for Vince Tyree if he chooses to go that route. But as far as my hope for Louisville getting something of a lesson punishment from the NCAA, it's very, very small. Um, I, I'll be shocked if we don't get at least one year postseason ban uh, out of this whole deal. And I think that that's probably about as soft in this situation. as you Yeah, and coming right out of the gate, I, I was – pretty surprised that a lot of people were talking two years but Louisville is also in an unprecedented so when you when you look at a school like Oklahoma State basically just getting the worst possible punishment for something that they were pretty much not even involved in um you know I, like you said Mike I, I'm not really um, holding out hope I, and like I was saying as far as recruiting you know at this point I think that Louisville is just kind of holding on to your life and hope, hoping for the best um but we do want to make sure that, we, that uh, Keith is awake um so we wanted to <laughs> This is literally like people ask me every once in a while, like, hey, you know, what do you write about on the site? And I'm like, I just stick to football. And they're like, no, really, I'm like, seriously, like, just listen to Mike and be like, yeah, what am I, what am I going to do? Like, what, <laughs> what do you guys want to hear from me? Like, when it comes to basketball, it's like, uh, yeah, like, I don't, I kind of stay on my own, but no, I think that, 
you know, it's funny. I look back to like, uh, I remember Eric Roth wrote about like the perfect punishment and I, and it was like dead on perfect, you know, because when it comes to these things, I know we all know it. I'm not, you know, saying anything that's, you know, earth shattering here. They punish people, especially players who have nothing to do with the action. That happens all the time. With Louisville, you're really looking at a situation where they did exactly what I would imagine NCAA would want them to do, which is clear, clear everybody out, start from scratch, and and go from there. And I think that Louisville's done that. Um, so I think that's where some of the optimism come in, comes in. Uh, I don't really get it either, but I can understand that's probably where people are thinking that, hey, they've done everything you could possibly do. Um, maybe the NCAA will do the right thing, or at least the thing that's more favorable to us as fans. Um, and, you know, at, while I don't see that happening, I do think the independent, you know, council thing they're doing now, uh, you nailed it with the fact that what's the point of the appeal doesn't mean anything. Nobody wins their appeal. So what's the point of even that's the, uh, that's the only positive or um, on paper, at least, of going that route with NCAA is that you can at least appeal it, which means you just go through another process for them to just say, well, tough, we already matters. Going the independent route, maybe they do take some other factors into consideration because I do think that that is the one thing that Louisville has, has uh, that they can hang their hat on, is that when these things happen, they, they said, you know what, we're done, and they fired every. I mean, there, there are not very many people left in the athletic department at all. They were there. So I think that's something that maybe they can – uh, you know, put in their argument that maybe this independent review board that's supposed to be separate from the NCAA and doesn't have that maybe mindset that they have. Um, and, you know, that's the only thing I can kind of hold out hope for, but I don't know if that's really going to be enough because at the end of the day, yeah, Louisville did wrong and then did wrong again pretty much right after they did wrong. So that's something that, you know, that that when it comes down to it, yeah, you got to get some kind of punishment for that. But at the same time, nobody that's here now participated or, or was a was a party of that. So you're just, they're just going to end up punishing people that that really it's just not a fair situation. But that's what they're.